Amen. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, City Light. I, oh, we'll get better at that one of these days. Uh, today's kind of an exciting day. Uh, I don't know if you know, we're part of a family of churches uh, that started about five and a half years ago in Omaha, and today is the second birthday of the first church plant out of the City Light family of churches. So City Light Benson today is celebrating their second birthday. And you know, if I'm honest, I think we owe a little bit to them because we were number three, right? Midtown was first, Benson was second, we were number three. If Benson would have botched it, I don't know if we would be here. So we love those guys. They're doing great. They're celebrating two years. Uh, They are opening up a building. These guys love their city maybe better than anybody else in the City Light family, maybe better than any other church in the metro. They have two buildings on their property. One of them was just an old uh, warehouse full of junk. They cleaned it out, fixed it up, and they've got a neighborhood uh, space where artists are going to do art and musicians are going to do music and people are going to use it. It's incredible. So if you see anybody from Benson, if you're on Facebook, go check out City Light Benson and wish them a happy birthday because uh, they kind of paved the ground that we are walking on right now. So uh, we're celebrating that today. Um, But we're going to dive in together. We're walking through the life of David in 1st and 2nd Samuel. So we're going to dive back in. And as we do that, I want you to think about this. Isn't it true that when we can get it, we like to have our cake and eat it too? Isn't that true? Like we like to drink diet soda with all the flavor and none of the calories. We like to give gift cards as presents because you still get to give a gift, but you don't have any of the pressure of picking the right thing, right? We like to pursue uh, flourishing families and careers. We like to have sunshine on that side of the window and air conditioning on this side of it, right? When we can get it, we like to have our cake and eat it too, But truth be told, that's not always easy to do. Whoever said you can't have your cake and eat it too, they weren't totally wrong, were they? Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes we have to choose. Should I work late or eat dinner with my family? Should I binge on Netflix all night tonight or get up early tomorrow and work out? Should I get an iPhone or an Android? Should I cheer for the Huskers or a good football team? Sometimes you have to choose. <laughs> low, that's a low blow. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sometimes we have to choose. And choosing can be hard, right? I think economists would say that choosing is hard because every time you make a choice, you make a trade-off. Our thoughts go something like this. If I watch Netflix all night tonight, I'm not going to have energy to get up tomorrow and work out. But if I get up tomorrow and work out, I don't get to finish this season of Parks and Rec. And I want to find out what's happening. Right? We trade sleep tonight for sleep tomorrow morning or vice versa. You give up one thing to get the other. Sometimes we're forced to choose. Life is full of choices and trade-offs. You tracking with me? Today we're going to look at the Bible. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, we're going to see three people who are forced to choose. They have to take a side. 
Now, in the text that we're reading, you, Doug just read some of it. We see this emerging quarterback controversy in Israel. You see, King Saul is still on the throne. He's still reigning over Israel, but he knows his time there is short. It's limited because he had disobeyed God. He'd taken matters into his own hands. He said, I'm going to lead my own way. And God said, then I'm going to take the kingdom from you and give it to a better man, a man who will follow me, a man after my own heart. And so Saul knew that his time was limited. Somebody else was coming to take his place. And he didn't know it right away, but that man was David. And after David killed Goliath, the picture started to become clear for Saul. This is what the Bible says. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now when Saul set David over the men of war, that wasn't an honor that he was trying to give David. That was, I don't like this guy, so I'm going to send him to the front lines. Maybe he'll die out there. Right? This is a murder plot, but it doesn't go like Saul planned. Because every time David went out, just like he beat Goliath, he's beating everybody else he goes up against. And he's capturing the hearts of all of Israel. And as all of the people of Israel, from those working out in the fields to those in the king's own court, as their love grows for David, so does Saul's hatred. Because the picture is becoming more and more clear. This is the man who will take my throne. Uh, And so Saul, it starts driving him crazy, literally. He is going insane over David. You would have to use both hands to count the number of times Saul tries to kill David in chapters 18 and 19 alone. And so though David tried to honor Saul, Saul left no gray area for the people of Israel. You are with me or you are against me. You will help me kill David or you will help him take my throne. You are on Saul's team or you are on David's team. There is no middle ground. The people of Israel were forced to choose. And so today we're going to look at three characters in these two chapters who make their decision. We're going to see how they responded when the Lord's anointed king was under attack by the king who still sat on the throne. We're going to look at their choice the trade-off that they made, and what we can learn from them. And so I want to say, before we dive into that story, see, like, history repeats itself. The people in David's day were forced to choose, and I think many of us find ourselves in that same forced-to-choose situation. Their, Their world is not that much different than ours. They were forced to choose King David, God's anointed king over them, or the opposition that stood against him. We are forced to choose King Jesus, God's anointed king over us, or the opposition that stands against him. See, like, whether it's at work or at home or in your heart, that there is opposition to Jesus. Let me give you a little insight. I think sometimes it sounds like he isn't real. I think sometimes it sounds like 
He isn't, he isn't powerful. He isn't worthy. He isn't the only one. Have you heard these kinds of statements and things like them? There is opposition to Jesus. And I think today, like the people in David's day, we are forced to choose. Uh, so, we're going to get started. Remember, in these times, we're saying that David's life gets its full meaning when it points us to Jesus. We're not Jesus in our day, so we're not David in these stories. We are the supporting cast. And so we're going to look at the supporting cast uh, in these two chapters, and we're going to start with Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. He is a prince over the people of Israel, and he was the oldest. He was in line to get to the throne if Saul's kingdom continued. And so there's a built-in incentive for Jonathan to choose dear old dad, right? If I've got to choose between my dad and David and I choose dad, then I might get the throne one day. If he chooses his dad, then he preserves his own kingdom and he preserves it for his kids and grandkids in years to come. Jonathan chooses Saul. He gets the kingdom now and for as long as he can protect it. There's an incentive for him to do that. But at the same time that Saul's dad is holding on to the kingdom, you see that it's beginning to slip away. It's beginning to become clear that God is on David's side. That just as Saul's sanity and power and influence are on the decline, God is building up and establishing favor and authority in David. And so Jonathan has a choice to make. Do I, do I choose my dad and preserve his kingdom, my kingdom? Or do I choose the God of Israel and work for his kingdom? Which kingdom is my lineage? Which is better for my family? Is it, is it protecting the throne that my dad sits on? Or is it supporting the throne that God sits on? Which king loves me more, the one the world gave me or the one God is giving me? Jonathan has a choice to make. Let's look at what the Bible says about his decision. 1 Samuel chapter 18 starts like this. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a, covenant between, uh, made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan's choice was clear. He picked David. The Bible says he knit himself to David. That word knit in the original Hebrew also meant to bind together. And so Jonathan not only chose David, he bound his life up with David's. It meant however David's life went, so Jonathan's life would go. He tied himself to David. When he made the choice to follow David instead of Saul, it wasn't just a choice he made in his head or in his heart. I'm going to pick that guy. It, he knew that there were implications. There was meaning to the decision that he was making. And so he took action. You see that 
Jonathan, when he knit his soul to David's, he took off his royal robe and he gave it away. Now, there was significance to that act. Because anybody who saw a person wearing that royal robe would have said, they are royalty. In that person lies the authority to lead this people, the power to make decisions on behalf of all the people. When Jonathan took off that robe and gave it to David, he was saying, I am giving you my kingdom and submitting to yours. And he didn't stop there. After he gave David his robe, he also gave him his armor and his sword and his belt, right? He gave a lot to David. Now, there's, there's significance to that, too, because armor was scarce in these days. You remember before David went out to fight Goliath, Saul offered David his own armor? If armor had been plentiful, the king doesn't give up his own. He finds some other guy. You give him your armor. But that's not how it went. Saul offered his own armor because there wasn't much of it, which means Jonathan had something special. That armor, that metal protection, that metal sword, those things were a sign that Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan's authority, his right to the royal line needed protected. That armor represented every resource that Jonathan had to protect and defend and secure and establish his own kingdom. Jonathan gave up his robe, and he gave up his armor and his weapons, he handed it all to David. In essence, he's saying, David, I give you my kingdom and everything that I might use to defend it. I'm submitting to you. Jonathan picked David, and he picked it with joy because he... He picked him with joy because he loved him as his own soul. What do we learn from Jonathan? I think maybe we could say it this way. Jonathan, uh, Jesus is honored when you're not number one. Jesus is honored when you're not number one. Let me tell you a story. I uh, played football in high school, believe it or not. Um, I was a tiny little tight end for a tiny little high school, and I played varsity, okay? Uh, so you can picture how small the school must have been. Um, and so we were playing a game one night. Our team was decent, and we were playing a team that was really bad. And the score, we were blowing them out. And so for whatever reason, the coach decides, uh, I'm going to get Eric a touchdown. Now, that was a bad decision from the outset, but he made it. And so we're, we're uh, first and goal from the two-yard line. Uh, the play comes in, and it's passed to me, so I run my route. I am literally wide open. The pass sails in my direction, and I just dropped it. I just dropped it. Um, all right, you brush yourself off after that. You go back to the huddle. Second play comes in. Another pass to me. Okay, I'm going to do it this time. I line up from the two, second down, run my route, wide open for a second time. The pass sails in my direction. Again, I dropped it. Okay, this is getting embarrassing. And uh, so, so third down, third and goal from the two. Play comes in, pass to Eric. And I'm thinking, oh God, help me catch this ball. Right? And so I run my route. I am wide open, pass comes sail in my direction, what do you think happens? I dropped it. Yeah, thanks for your confidence. <laughs> I dropped it, three in a row. We were now fourth and goal from the two. It had nothing to do with their defense. It had everything to do with my poor offense. I go back to the huddle, and what do you think I prayed that time? It was not, dear God, help me catch this ball. 
it was, oh, Jesus, please keep that ball as far away from me as you can. Right? My prayer changed when it's fourth and goal. Why? Because I wasn't the best man for the job. I wanted my team to score a touchdown whether my name was called after the play or not. Right? I didn't care if I got it. I wanted my team to get it. Listen, I, I got a, I'll tell you how the story went. They called a play to our uh, talented running back, handed off to him. He trotted through a wide open hole in the line for easy six points. Uh, I got to be a part of a victory that night, even though I didn't score a single point. Jonathan got to be part of the kingdom of God, even though he didn't sit on the throne. I'm, I think it's true that Jesus is honored when we're not number one. Whose kingdom are you going to choose? Listen, I want to be clear here. I think we need to pursue excellence with our lives. We need to have high standards for ourselves and work hard and strive to honor God in all that we do, to live with excellence. But I think sometimes that looks like giving up our own kingdom so that his can advance. Maybe you work in an environment where integrity is regularly sacrificed in the name of profit. What king will you choose? Maybe you go to a school where it's laughable to live your life with faith in Jesus. What king will you choose? I think just like the people in David's day, we are forced to choose. Jonathan chose David because he knew that getting to be part of God's kingdom was better than ruling his own. And Jesus taught us that same thing. This is what he said in Mark chapter 8. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I want you to hear this. Choosing to be part of Jesus' kingdom, to wrap yourself up in that, is better than ruling your own. Jesus is honored when we're not number one. He said that somehow when we lose our lives, we save it. When we stop living for our own sake and we bind up our lives with Jesus, when we start living for his glory and his kingdom and under his leadership rather than our own, somehow we save our lives today and forever. Jonathan gave up his kingdom to choose David. He experienced what it was like to live in joy under the kingdom of heaven rather than his own. And I think we can do that today. Oh, City Light, will we be a people that give up our own kingdoms to live in the kingdom of God? Uh, Okay, Jonathan. Jonathan chose David. He gave up his kingdom so that he could live under the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus is honored when we're not number one. Let's look at character number two. Character number two is Michal, all right? It looks like Michael, and I might say Michael, okay? It's Michal, I think, and it's a girl, okay? So uh, just track with me. Forgive me if I mess it up. Michal is Saul's daughter. She's a princess in the kingdom. She is Jonathan's sister, and like her brother, she loves David. And that kind of worked out for Saul, because Saul had promised that whoever defeated Goliath, uh, they would get his daughter's hand in marriage. And so his daughter loves David. David deserves his daughter's hand in marriage. He starts working something out. 
And after a really jacked up series of events that included like another murder plot and a bride price paid in human flesh, uh, David and McCall finally tie the knot. They get married, all right? And McCall then moves into David's house. And she puts some throw pillows on the bed and on the couches, lights a candle in the bathroom, right? Takes care of the bachelor stuff. And then she starts dreaming about what's our life going to look like together. And right about that time, she catches wind that her dad has sent hitmen to stake out outside their house and kill her new husband in the morning. Great wedding present, right? Some of you wives are like, I can relate. My dad would have sent hitmen after my husband at some time too, right? Well, that actually happened to McCall. This is the truth. And so uh, she's got a decision to make now. There are hitmen literally lying in wait for her husband outside the door. Who is she going to choose? Is she going to save the life of her husband, let him in on, this, on the plot, uh, or is she going to support her dad and help him hang on to his throne? What does she choose? Here's what the Bible says. Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. Uh, in short, she chose David. Now, here's how the rest of the story went. Those hitmen wake up in the morning and they go see this doll, this image with the goat hair covered up with a sheet. They see that and McCall says, oh, that's David, but he's sick. The hitmen bought that and so they pick up the entire mattress, carry it to Saul. Saul has a sword ready for David, pulls the sheet and sees this is not David. I've been tricked. Right? I've been duped. Now his son and his daughter have both chosen David over him. Um, when McCall learned about her dad's plot to kill David, she knew that there was a deathbed in her house. All right, track with me. She, she heard that her dad had said, I'm going to kill your husband in the morning. His crosshairs were on that bed in her house. And she knew whoever is lying there, whatever is lying there, tomorrow is going to be under threat by the king. And so she had a decision to make. What do I put on the bed for the morning? What she, what she did was she put an image there. Now that, that word, the original word in the Hebrew for image is the same word that's used for household God. She put her idol in that bed. I don't know where she got it or why she had it, but McCall had an idol hidden in her house. That idol was a rival to the living God. I want to tell you today, I think that was a contingency plan. I think it was a, an alternative, a backup, or a plan B. I think Michael, though she was married to God's man, had an idol tucked away as a contingency. If things don't work out with him, if God doesn't protect us the way that I think he ought to or he said he would, I'm going to keep this thing back here so that I can pull it out and maybe it'll work for me in time of need. I think McCall had a contingency and it looked like an idol. And the time came where she was forced to choose. Do I pick my king or my contingency. 
And Michal, when she was forced to choose, she picked her contingency. She laid her idol in that bed. And when she did, she essentially sacrificed it so that she could go all in with her husband and king. What do we learn from Michal? I think we learn that Jesus is honored when we're all in. Jesus is honored when you go all in. So let me ask you the question. Do you have a contingency? Do you have a backup plan or a plan B? See, so like, would you just pray, even in this moment, and ask the Spirit, oh God, if I have one, would you show it to me? If I've hidden something somewhere that I lean on rather than you in my darkest times, would you reveal that to me? I want to go all in. Do you have a backup plan? High school students, do you have a backup plan? You think, yeah, I come here with my mom and dad because I have to. But as soon as I get out of their house, I'm getting out of God's house too. Maybe freedom and college and ruling your own life. Maybe that's your backup plan. College students, maybe you've heard that God is supposed to be all satisfying, but you haven't yet experienced him that way. And you go off to college and you think, man, maybe there are other things that satisfy better than Jesus. Maybe I should test his word. Maybe it's sex or drugs or money or whatever else. Are you looking at alternatives? Single person longing for a relationship. When the nights get too lonely and you wish there was more, do you pull out your idol and give in to promiscuity or porn? Married couples, spouses in a troubled marriage on your darkest days, do you dream of freedom in divorce rather than longing for restoration in your relationship? Is divorce your backup plan, your contingency? Would you pray and ask God to reveal to you what that might be? Michael's was, McCall's was hidden. She pulled it out. What are you hiding? What's your backup plan? See, I think it's tempting to keep one hidden somewhere. To say that we have faith in Jesus, but keep our faith in something else too. I think it's tempting to have a plan B, but Michael McCall shows us that Jesus is honored when his plan A, B, all the way to Z. Jesus is honored when we are all in, and Jesus teaches the same thing too. This is what he said in one of my favorite parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus said the kingdom of God is such a valuable and desirable treasure that once you find it, it is worth abandoning everything else to get that thing. It's worth giving up every contingency, alternative, backup, plan B to go all in with him. City Light, There is power in being all in. There is power in an undivided heart. How might your marriage change if you never spoke of divorce again and went all in trusting that Jesus can restore your relationship? High school students, how would your life change? How would your faith change if you abandoned the idea of coming here just for your parents and said, no, I'm going to come here and learn about whether or not Jesus is really king. 
What if, how would your life change if you started pursuing him on your own rather than doing it to please your parents? What if you went all in? College students, what if you took Jesus at his word and trusted that he is all satisfying and pursued with him with all of your heart to find satisfaction in him alone? City Light, Jesus is honored when we go all in. Michael McCall abandoned her idol, laid it on the bed in the sights to die so that her husband and king could live. Oh, would we be a people that go all in after Jesus? Okay, Jonathan gave up his kingdom. McCall gave up her contingency. Lastly, we are going to look at Samuel. Samuel also chose David, and he gave up his comfort. All right, do you remember Samuel? Samuel was like the Billy Graham of his day. He's the guy that God used to speak to all the people, and all the people knew him. God used Samuel to tell Saul, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. God used Samuel to tell David, the kingdom's going to be given to you. Do you remember what Samuel said when God told him, go anoint David as king? Remember what he said? He said this, how can I go, God? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. I remind you of that because I, I think it's true that Samuel knew what it was like to be in the crosshairs of King Saul, to be on the wrong side of his anger. Samuel knew what it was like for, for Saul to be after him. But now, at this point in the story, Samuel, he's flying under the radar. Saul's not after him anymore. Saul is after David. And so Samuel, he's, he's just out prophesying, living life. Uh, he's he's uh, uh, getting older. He's fought his battles. He's done his time. He's ready to enjoy his sunset years in peace. But all of that changes. All of that is put on the line when David shows up at his door. Then Samuel is forced to choose. Here's what happened. Now, David fled and escaped. This is after he jumped out the window. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth, and it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Samuel had to decide, hey, I'm, under, uh, I'm flying under the radar of Saul. I'm, I'm in a good place right now. David shows up at the door. Do I let him in? Do I take him in and get back in the game and protect him? Or do I send him on his way, packed up, and stay off Saul's radar? Samuel chose David. Let me tell you what I love about Samuel. He's kind of like the Energizer Bunny in my mind. He just keeps going. He just keeps doing his thing. He doesn't stop. Uh, he's consistent. He stays the course. What do we learn from Samuel? I think we learn that Jesus is honored when you stay the course. All right? Samuel stayed the course. To use Pastor Eugene Peterson's words, he had a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. Um, when, whether or not Saul is after Samuel, he just keeps doing the same thing. He doesn't start something new. He doesn't stop what he was doing. He just keeps doing what he'd always done. He was prophesying and training prophets. And so, uh, and so 
we look at Jonathan, we see he gave up his kingdom. We look at McCall, we see that she gave up her contingency. We see Samuel had already made those choices. He was already God's man. He was already living for God's kingdom. He didn't have any other gods that he was serving. So what did, what did Samuel do when he had to choose between David and Saul? He gave up his comfort to stay the course. He got back in the line of sight of Saul. He, he took on David, who Saul wanted to kill, so that he could stay the course and continue to be God's man. Here's what happened in the story. After Samuel took David in, Saul sent groups of hit men to kill David. Three times this happened. Uh, Saul knew where David was. He knew he was with Samuel, and so he sent hit men to kill David again three times. This is what happened when they, when they arrived um, at Samuel and David's place. These hit men saw Samuel prophesying. The Spirit of God overcame them, and they started prophesying too. These Guys who came to kill David, rather than getting to deliver words of death from the mouth of Saul, they got to begin uttering words of life from the mouth of God. They started prophesying with Samuel. Samuel stayed the course. He just trusted God's going to continue to protect us. Three times that happened. Saul said, man, you can't trust somebody else. Sometimes you got to do it yourself. After he sent three groups, none of them took care of the job. He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go kill David in Samuel's house. And so Saul made the trip. Saul saw Samuel prophesying, and you know what happened? The exact same thing. Samuel started, or Saul started prophesying too. The Spirit of God overcame him. The Spirit of God protected Samuel and David from the hand of Saul. Samuel gave up his comfort to stay the course to continue to follow God no matter the cost. And so City Light, I want to end today with a word of encouragement. Let's stay the course. We've, you have been a church that have stepped out in faith to follow God. When times get hard, let's keep going. When times are good, let's keep going. Let's stay the course. Let's be a people that continue to pray big prayers to a big God, hoping and expecting that he'll continue to do big things. Let's be a people that continue to share your faith, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with the people in your lives that need to hear it. Let's be a people that continue to invite lost people to city group uh, throughout the week, to the service on Sunday, into the family of God so that they can see it and experience it. Let's be a people that continue to multiply disciples and churches. Oh, City Light, let's stay the course. Let's not veer off. Let's not get intimidated. Let's not grow weary of doing good. Whether the world, whether the kings of this world are after us or not, let's stay the course for our king. The life of David points us to Jesus. We're not Jesus today, and we're not David in this story. There's a supporting cast around David. All of them were forced to choose, and we get to make a choice too. Would we be a people that choose Jesus. He is worth giving up our kingdom, our contingency, and our comfort. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for stories like this, stories where we can find a place in it, where we can see ourselves in it. God, like Jonathan, we strive to build our own kingdoms. 
Like McCall, we hide contingency plans and backup plans. Like Samuel, we get comfortable. And God, all of those things, uh, they're, they're not bad. They're only bad when they compete with you. And so God, would you give us right eyes to see? God, would you let us know when our kingdom stands in the way of yours? When our contingencies keep us from holding on to you and you alone? Oh, would you show us when we're too comfortable to take steps of faith? God, would you call us into more? Jesus, would your kingdom be greater in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our church? Oh God, for your glory and our good, we want more of you. pray this in your name. Amen.